Hello, and welcome to Rookie Express. Just to quickly introduce your hosts, I'm Gadalia May. And I'm Daniel Fuchs. Welcome to Rookie Express, where we keep you up to date on all the latest in clinical research. We know how busy you all are as med students and residents. It's sometimes hard to keep up with all the latest literature. So in 10 minutes or less, our goal is to review research articles from top tier medical journals and give it to you, Express. Today, we will be reviewing four articles that came out in the recent JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, volume 326, number 21, which came out December 7, 2021. So what's the topic of the first article, Gadalia? The first article deals with steps involved in diagnosing a pulmonary embolism. Yeah, I glanced at that article and I saw a lot of abbreviations. As a third year medical student, I was not super familiar with. Can you tell me a bit about PERC and YEARS? Sure. So PERC stands for Pulmonary Embolism Rule-Out Criteria. It takes into account eight criteria. They are age, heart rate, O2 sat, leg swelling, hemoptysis, recent trauma, history of PE or DVT, and the use of hormone therapy. If any of these criteria are positive, the PERC rule cannot be used to rule out pulmonary embolism. Meaning that they may have a PE if they have one of those things, right? Correct. Exactly. We, cannot, we, can, we can't rule it out if, they, if any of those eight are positive. Oh, okay. And the year's thing? The year's rule consists of three criteria. Number one, are there clinical signs of DVT? Number two, is there a hemopsis? Number three, is, is the most likely diagnosis pulmonary embolism? If zero years criteria are met, meaning the answer to all those three questions are no, then a D-dimer value of less than 1,000 rules out pulmonary embolism. If more than one criteria are met, then a D-dimer of less than 500 will safely rule out a pulmonary embolism. Got it. Thanks. That was helpful. This is actually an interesting topic because there is a lot of diagnostic steps and tests to rule in or rule out pulmonary embolism. However, there is quite a bit of debate about what is the optimal diagnostic strategy? Okay, so this article set out to evaluate if patients with a suspicion of pulmonary embolism not ruled out by the pulmonary embolism rule-out criteria, can the use of a strategy that combines the year's rule and age-adjusted D-dimer safely exclude the diagnosis of venous thromboembolism? Well, that would be convenient. So how did they do the study? This study was a cluster randomized crossover non-inferiority trial conducted in 18 emergency departments in France and Spain and included 1,414 patients. Tell us, Gadalia, what did the study find? What the study found was, was that among emergency department patients with suspected pulmonary embolism, the use of the years, years rule combined with age-adjusted D-dimer threshold in PERC-positive patients compared with a conventional diagnostic strategy did not result in an inferior rate of thromboembolic events. So you mean that we can use the combination of these criteria and it's basically just about as good as imaging studies that we do? That's right. That is pretty good, especially because over the past 20 years, there has been an increase in the use of CTPA, CT pulmonary angiogram, to rule out PE, which has resulted in unnecessary added costs and patient radiation exposure. So having a way to rule out PE without this would be very beneficial. Okay, on to the next. The next interesting article is about small babies. The author wanted to know if among pregnant people at a high risk of small for gestational age, SGA, newborn babies, is switching them to a Mediterranean diet or mindful-based stress, stress reduction effective in preventing SGA at delivery? So basically, is switching them to a Mediterranean diet or reducing stress going to make the baby bigger? Right. That's what we're looking for. What's the big deal? Lots of babies are small. 
Well, actually, being born small for gestational age is a leading cause of perinatal morbidity and mortality with no effective prevention or therapy. Until now. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so what did this study show? Before we get to that, Gadalia, can you enlighten us to what a Mediterranean diet is that is so good for these women? I can definitely try, Daniel. From what I remember, it consists of more fruits, vegetables, fish, eggs, low-fat dairy, and healthy oils, such as from nuts, seeds, and olives, and has less processed foods, red meat, and starches, such as potatoes. So now back to the study. What did it say? So they did a randomized clinical trial, and they found that these things do, in fact, help. The standard care group had an SGA rate of 21.9%, whereas the other two groups, namely the Mediterranean diet group and the low-stress group, had 14% and 15.6%, respectively which is a significantly lower rate of SGA. To clarify, these numbers sound pretty high because the study was done with individuals who initially had a high risk for SGA, and they were attempting to see if they can make these risks lower. And so they did. Both interventions resulted in a significantly lower percentage of SGA newborns compared with the usual care. Saving the world one baby at a time. There was some significant limitations to this important study, so these findings should be considered preliminary and require replication. Gedalia, I saw that this week they had an article updating the USPFDF recommendation for primary care physicians doing things to kids' teeth. Did you read that one? I sure did, Daniel. Good. Let's get some dentistry mixed in here with my medicine. So firstly, the USPSTF recommends that primary care clinicians prescribe oral fluoride supplementation starting at age six months for children whose water supply is deficient in fluoride. Okay. Number two, the USPSTF recommends that primary care clinicians apply fluoride varnish to the primary teeth of all infants and children starting at the age of primary tooth eruption. Okay. And lastly, the USPSTF concludes that the current evidence is insufficient to assess the balance of benefits and harms of routine screening examinations for dental caries performed by primary care clinicians in children younger than five years. Well, that was some interesting dentistry for you pediatricians out there. Yeah. So, Daniel, there was one more guideline change in this issue as well. Did you see that one? I sure did. It was about the guidelines for cervical cancer screening. They changed it again. All the different screenings that we do have to be evidence-based, and we are constantly learning new things. So the recommendations have to keep changing with all the new information that we learn. So the American Cancer Society just updated the recommendation on cervical cancer screening. The last update was in 2012, so they figured it was time to reevaluate. The 2020 American Cancer Society guidelines include two or three important changes. Number one, the age of initial pap test screening is increased to 25 years from the previous recommendation of 21 years. Okay. Number two, the interval of testing is extended to every five years as opposed to the previous recommendation of every three years. Okay. The rest of the recommendations aren't really any different from the previous recommendations, but just for completeness sake, here they are. If primary HPV testing is not available, use co-testing HPV plus cytology every five years. Discontinue screening at age 65 years. If there is no history of CIN grade two or worse in the last 25 years and adequate negative prior screening in the last 10 years. Will OBGYNs change what they are currently doing based on this, Daniel? Maybe some of them will, but... In general, probably not, because there are other societies that did not change their recommendations, such as the American College of Obstetric and Gynecology and the USPFDF. 
among others. So we'll have to see in the future if they move towards this way or they move towards that way. And eventually we'll find out. And that's all we have for you today. Express as promised. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at therickyouteam at gmail.com. Write Express in the subject. Follow us on Spotify, Instagram, Facebook at The Rick U Team and The Rick U Express. As always, thanks for listening.